Y'all can be seated. Anybody else run smack dab into allergy season this week? Woo! Well, me too. I'm on some good Allegra this morning, so hopefully that'll carry us through without too many nose blowings and sneezing. So if that starts up, just ask you to hang with me. And I feel for you if you're in there with me. I've been thinking about homecoming this week. Whenever you hear that word, usually it has joyous uh, celebratory connotations, right? Whether it's school, uh, some of you are in the, the midst of that right now. For some of you, that was a while ago, but you, you think about coming and cheering on your team and then going out to a dance or a party afterwards. It's a, it's a joyous time. I think about American Idol, which we used to watch back in its heyday. You remember they do the homecomings with the final three and they'd go home and the schools in their town would be ready to welcome them in. They'd throw giant parties at the park like, whoa, our, our, our guy or our gal is home. I even think about when we go back to Ohio. A lot of times when we get to my parents' house, they will have on the front sidewalk written in chalk, welcome home. Scott, Carolyn, Jaden, Evan, and Luke, and it just, ah, it's good to be back. And the same kind of warm welcome from Carolyn's family as well. So you think about homecoming, and you think about, what would it be like if Jesus returned to his hometown where he grew up? You know, he was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Kind of a crossroads town, rural, not very highly thought of. In fact, one of the disciples remember said, can anything good come out of there? But that's where Jesus grew up. What would happen when Jesus comes home? Wouldn't it be wonderful? Wouldn't it be like this celebration? No. Watch this. We're going to hit you with a bunch of D's today. When you hear the D's, if you want, write them down. Help you remember what's going on. They helped me. They doubted Him. When he got to his hometown. It's about 20 miles away from Capernaum where he's been doing a lot of the stuff that we've been reading about. He travels back to his hometown. Listen to this. Mark 6.1. Open it if you have it. He went away from there and came to his hometown and his disciples followed him. That phrase is important because we're going to start with the homecoming of Jesus. But the second half of this message is going to be the outgoing of his apostles on a, on a mission. And they're watching and learning from what happens to Jesus in his hometown. Okay? Verse 2. On the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? You say, Scott, why do you read that with kind of that negative tone? Because in the net, very next verse it says they took offense at him. They weren't asking these questions with an open mind. They are doubting. How could he have that kind of wisdom, that kind of power? What's behind this doubt of his hometown? Well, we can see a couple things right in the text. One, do you notice they call him the son of Mary? Call him the son of Mary, right? Now, Joseph's not mentioned here, leading many to believe that he's passed on by this point, which is likely true. However, many believe that even with Joseph being gone, calling Jesus the son of Mary was an insult. Because in Jewish culture, 
whether your father was alive or not, when you're referred to, you're referred to as the son of your father. I would be Scott, the son of Donald. So many believe this was an insult to call him the son of Mary. Frankly putting it, he's a bastard. We don't know who his daddy is. They remembered all those things going around when Mary got pregnant before she married Joseph and perhaps bought into it. But instead of calling him the son of Joseph, he's the son of Mary. We don't even know who your daddy is. How do you got all this power and all this wisdom? But it wasn't just that. Why'd they doubt him? It was Jesus from up the street, right? We saw him grow up from a child to manhood. He's human. We heard him in that loud house with all those other kids. We saw him out playing with the other kids. And then, now he's a, he's a carpenter down the street. He's got a shop. Like, I remember seeing him working in there, like, covered in sweat and, and sawdust. How could he have all this wisdom and this power? You've heard the old phrase, familiarity breeds contempt. Many of these folks grew up so close to him and saw the reality of his humanity that became a barrier for them to realize that he was also fully God. That's why they, they doubted him. But I think about him as a carpenter. I read some interesting things this week. You know, a lot of the art about Jesus, he's kind of this wispy, pansy-looking guy, right? But, but one man was pointing out as I read that, you know, when, when he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? Some people said they think you're John the Baptist and Elijah. Those don't strike me in the, the biblical picture as wimpy guys, either of them. And grow, growing up working as a carpenter, this man was projecting Jesus was probably strong. That's, that is strong work that he grew up doing. So perhaps our common picture of Jesus is not quite accurate. But whatever the case, he was a tecton. That was a Greek word for, for carpenter. It could refer to someone that worked in stone or metal. In Jesus' case, it was most likely wood because of where he was. He was the carpenter down the street. But what hits me is that the, the very things about Jesus' humanity that were offensive to these people, how could he have this kind of power? How could he have this kind of wisdom? The believer today finds great comfort in. We find great comfort in the fact that He is God and man, the, the God-man. I think about Him working there, and I'm sure His work was excellent. I'm sure His work was awesome. In fact, some have speculated later on when He said, My yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is possible that He had made yokes for animals that were easy on the animals. He made them so well that maybe farmers came back and said, my animals love this one. They don't fight me when I use this. I want another one from you next year this time. We don't know for sure, but maybe. But as a believer, I look back and I think about something. Imagine one of those customers coming and saying to Jesus, man, this yoke you made is wonderful. Your work is very good. Especially knowing that the verb related to tecton, to carpenter, means to bring forth or create. When I read that, knowing all that we know about Jesus, I think about verses like Colossians 1.16. 
By Him, Jesus, all things were created. I think about Genesis 1.31. God saw everything that He had made and behold, it was very good. So that person comes and says, this, this yoke is wonderful. Your work is very good. And Imagine Jesus thinking to Himself, if you only knew. If you only knew. His humanity is one of the most comforting things to the believer in Christ. He truly is the God-man who tabernacled among us. 18 years as the village carpenter before he went into public ministry. Think about that. He knows the rigors of the day-to-day. As you're going through your day-to-day, remember that. Jesus knows what that's like and He brings nobility to it. Remember, work was given to man before the fall. It's a noble thing and Jesus spending all those years in the carpenter shop brings nobility to the the day-to-day. But it goes even deeper how His humanity brings us comfort. Hebrews tells us that's what makes Him a merciful high priest between us and the Father. Hebrews 1.17, He had to be made like His brothers in every respect so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He understands the day-to-day. That enables Him to be that merciful, faithful high priest. Also made Him a fitting sacrifice for your sins and my sins. The author of Hebrews goes on to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Propitiation means to satisfy the wrath of the Father against our sin. He had to be human for because He Himself has suffered when tempted, He's able to help those who are being tempted. That brings comfort to the believer, but they doubted Him because of His humanity. That's how human He was and is. I'll go on. They were displeased with Him. That might be putting it mildly. It says they took offense at Him. They took offense at Him. Now, Many of you know when it comes to visiting His hometown, Luke chapter 4 tells us about an encounter there as well. The scholars debate whether it was this same one or if that one had happened earlier. But do you remember what happened in that one? He went to the synagogue and He taught. He, he taught from Isaiah and He said, I'm the one that Isaiah prophesied about. Because you all are rejecting me, this message is going to go to the Gentiles, which foreshadowed what would happen in the book of Acts. And that offended them so badly. You remember what they attempted to do? Throw them off a cliff. And some of you all thought cancel culture was something new. (laughs) They tried to throw him off a cliff. In his hometown, but Luke 4.30, you remember what it says? It says he passed through their midst. Not yet. Not time. They took offense at him. They dishonored him. Verse 4, Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his hometown, and among his relatives, and in his own household. Listen, there's comfort in those words if you've been rejected by your family because of your walk with Christ. I talked with a man Friday morning who had to elope with his wife because his family would not support him marrying a Christian. He was a Christian. Maybe you know rejection from family because you chose Christ. Jesus understands. He's a merciful 
high priest. But the disciples are watching. Can you imagine his 12? Like, what were their expectations going to Jesus' hometown? Maybe they think, this is going to be awesome. We're going to your hometown, man. It's going to be a party. Now they're, they're watching this. What are they thinking? The master grew up here. He grew up here, and they're rejecting him. John 1.11 says it this way. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Now, this might seem a strange passage to find comfort from, but I find comfort in the fact that even Jesus himself and his message were rejected by individuals. Why is that comforting? Well, it takes me back to what he'd said about the parable of the soils. There are different kinds of soils in this world, and only one of them receives the seed and bears much fruit. The first one totally flat out rejects it. The middle two have their issues, right? There are four kinds of soils in this world, and if they rejected Jesus even, I should not be surprised when they reject me and His message at times. Right? We are not responsible for the results. What we are responsible for is faithfulness in spreading the message of Jesus. Right? Think about prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They were told early on in their ministries, the people are not going to listen to you. (laughs) They're going to reject your message, but you be faithful to me. You be faithful to me. Faithfulness is what counts. They, listen to this, they diminished His ministry among them. Verse 5, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Evidently, there were a few exceptions to this unbelief. But outside of them, it says, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people. Matthew 13, when he talks about the same encounter, verse 58 says, he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. Maybe it strikes you as strange. Does it somehow diminish Jesus that He could do no mighty work there because of their unbelief? No. Why? Because God has chosen to work through Faith. God has chosen to work through faith. And I think about faith. It's one of those Bible words, right? We throw it around a lot, but we need to talk about it because it's important. I think there are two extremes to avoid with this idea of faith. One is to focus almost exclusively on the, what we see, when we see it almost as a human effort. Faith. Kind of like positive thinking. Kind of like you remember the secret a decade or so back. If I think it and want it bad enough, the universe will bring it to me. And we focus on what we do and hear and what we think and what we name and declare. Okay? Let me give you an example of this. I was at Bosa Donuts. 
on Thursday, and I was supposed to meet somebody there. If you go there, that glazed buttermilk, man. The guy didn't show up, and I'm sitting there eating my donut, studying, looking out the window, and across the street I saw the Christian Science building. You know, Mary Baker, Eddie. And I decided to walk over. I saw some things on the window. I just, I'd read about them in the past, and I walked over there. They practice what I just talked about. It's so much about what we think and what goes on in here. That is faith. There was a testimony on their window of a, of a young girl. And I want you to listen for what disagrees with the Bible in here. She's a fourth grader. Her eyes started to hurt. She said, even though my eye looked normal, on the inside it felt bruised. I didn't know what had happened to my eye, but I looked away from that thought. Instead, my mom helped me understand that there is no cause other than God. I went to school on my first day and was very distracted and uncomfortable during the day. When school was over, I went home and my family and I started praying about my eye. We called a Christian science practitioner for help, and I loved what she told me. She said that my eye was already perfect. That's because God had made me perfect. Let's pause there. What we know from a biblical perspective is even the believer has a body that still groans in this fallen world. Our bodies will not be perfect until we are, are glorified. No matter how much I say is perfect, it's not, okay? Now let's go on. She also shared that the error that seemed to be bothering my eye was just like bubble gum on my forehead. I could just peel it off and throw it away because it wasn't the truth about me. This helped me a lot, and I went to school the next day. And she goes on to talk about praying and feeling better. Now, listen. What's that saying? It's, it's, it's mind over matter. As long as you think it away, it will go away. It's not real. Every time you see Jesus heal someone in the Bible, I'm telling you, it was not mind over matter. It was God over the reality that afflicted that individual. And the scary thing about this kind of thinking about faith is it is creeping into churches. So I warn you, when you listen to podcasts online, when you hear this kind of nonsense, this very human-centered side about faith, it almost ignores God and His sovereignty and His power. Run away. That's one extreme. But there's another extreme we have to avoid. It's to downplay Forget the importance of faith in our lives altogether. Almost like God is sovereign, which He is, but to, to go on to say God is sovereign, so, so what difference does, does faith make? It makes a lot of difference because of what we said earlier. God has chosen to work through faith. Our walk with Him begins with that. Ephesians 2.8, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Our walk goes on with faith. 2 Corinthians 5.7, we walk by faith, not by sight. What is faith? Hebrews 11.1, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 11.6, 
pretty bold. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and, and that He rewards those who seek Him. So you say, what is biblical faith? Because I want to walk by faith, not by sight, right? Well, it's, it's not positive thinking or demanding my will apart from God's will of Him. It's first and foremost trust in a person. The person of Jesus Christ. It's trust that God will keep His promises. And where He hasn't made a promise, it's trust that His sovereign will is good, even if it differs from my will. It is not denying the reality of the challenges we're going through. Real faith can stare at a situation that I'm going through that looks impossible and admit this looks impossible. But believing there is a bigger God for whom it is not impossible. Just like Abraham, Romans 4. He did not deny the reality of what was going on when God came to him and Sarah as an elderly couple. Listen to how real he was about things. Romans 4.19 says he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. <laughs> yeah, I'm about good as dead. I'm 100 years old. He, he was real about it. Or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. Yep, she's barren. But still, it said he did not weaken in faith. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. How? fully convinced that God was able to do what He had promised. You see, faith is being real about what I'm going through, but realizing there is a bigger God. What was Jesus' reaction? He goes to His hometown, they doubt Him, they're displeased with Him. He was dumbfounded by their unbelief. Some translations say he was amazed. Verse 6 says he marveled because of their unbelief. He's looking around just totally amazed. As I read that, I learned this week that there's only one other place in the Gospels where Jesus marveled. You know where it was? It was a Gentile centurion they wanted Jesus to come heal somebody. And the centurion said, you don't have to come. Just say the word. I know you can do it. Matthew 8.10 says, when, when Jesus heard this, He marveled and said to those who followed Him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. And here's a question I have been wrestling with this week. When God looks at my life, which of the two reasons would He marvel? The unbelief that he found in Nazareth, is that what he would marvel about in my life? How could Mitchell not have faith in me right now after all I've done for him? Or would he marvel at the faith that I've placed in him? What about you? Which would Jesus marvel about in your life? Jesus departed from them. And he went about among the villages teaching. His apostles had watched all this. This was learning. They spent a lot of time with Him. That's why He called them that they might be with Him. 
and that he might send them, and he's about to, to send them. A couple more D's for the apostles. As he sent them out, it's important that we know they had derived authority from Jesus himself. As they went out, they went with his authority. Verse 7, it says, He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. I don't know how that looked or what happened. Did, did he bring them two by two and say, I give you my authority and then send those two? Two more. I give you my authority. I don't know. Whatever the case, he gave them his authority to go out on his mission. And listen, today, though you and I are not apostles, we go out in the same authority of Jesus. You remember Matthew 28, before he says, go and make disciples, he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore go. We go with his authority as well. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. He is with us. The Spirit is in us. Romans 7, 6, we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. As the believer ministers in faith, we minister through His derived authority. He is with us. We also are called not to go alone. He sent them out two by two. Barnabas and Mark did that in Acts 15. Mark, the guy that's writing this, knew what this was like. In Acts 15, they went out on a missions trip two by two, as did many other pairs. Paul and Silas, you can go on and on. Right? Peter and John. We've got a whole church today. 1 Corinthians says, every one of us was baptized into the body. We have a whole church. So let me ask you, as you go... First, are you trying to go in your own power? Or are you resting in the power of Jesus, realizing that anything of value is going to come as we connect to Him? He's the vine, I'm the branch. Or do your work through me. And then humanly speaking, are you walking with some other people in the body of Christ? Or are you trying to do it on your own? They had derived authority. They were to be dependent on God and those they ministered to. I want to talk about the dependent on God. There's a list here, and I don't think we need to get caught up in the list for today because this was a specific journey at a specific time. But there are some principles that we can learn as to how they went out. Verse 8, he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff. No bread. No food. No bag. It's no place to store food. No money in their belts. Back then they used to tuck coins into their belts as they wrapped them around kind of like an ancient fanny pack. <laughs> Remember those? <laughs> so I, you got the three, right? No food, no place to store food, no money to buy food, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. A tunic was a close inner, inner garment, one you would wear and one you would cover up with at night. Don't take that second one to cover up with at night. I'll provide you a place to stay with the people you minister to. They were to be dependent on God. Are you and I to live in a manner that shows faith and dependence on God? Matthew 6. I 
25, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? 33, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 1 Corinthians 7, Paul says to the Corinthian church in verse 29, the appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. And those who mourn as though they were not mourning. And those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. And those who buy as though they had no goods. And those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Are we living like that's true? One man said it this way. It stuck with me. He said, make no elaborate preparations as if you were going a long journey on your own business. You are going a short journey on mine. Is what Jesus was saying to the apostles. I like that last phrase. Am I living as if I'm on a short journey for Jesus? Am I traveling lightly through this world? Trusting on God? Ready to follow Him no matter what. Or, if I'm honest, have I become encumbered, idolizing things of this world? Now, this is not primarily for something for us to go looking around at everybody else. This is something we all need to, to take before God. Say, God, am I truly living by faith in You? Or have I gotten ensnared in temporary things? I, I shared before, nobody changes the wallpaper in a hotel room. <laughs> Why? Because it's temporary. <laughs> don't, don't put our roots down too deeply in things that don't last. Next, they were to be dependable. Not always seeking for greener pastures. Verse 10, he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. You stay in one house in that village. Many have proposed that the reason for that is that would eliminate the temptation as they're going through the village and ministering to people like, oh, these people got nicer food over here in the bed. Woo, that's a lot more comfortable. We're going we're gonna to move to this house tomorrow. Now let's go, James. No, you stay in the house where you're at. And, and, and I agree with them. I think part of the reason for that at least is for them to practice contentment. Contentment in their ministry, where they're at. 1 Timothy 6, 5, Paul talks about some who imagine that godliness is a means of gain. Verse 6, he says, Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing with these, we will be content. I was reading some more in uh, Corey Tinboom, The Hiding Place, this week. And as a little girl, she was talking with her mom about one of their aunts who lived with them. This aunt was never happy. Never happy. Always complaining about something. And Corey wanted her aunt to be happy. So she went to her mom and said, Mom, aunt so-and-so is never happy. She always talks about the wallers where she used to live. How can we make her happy? 
And you know what her mom said in her wisdom? She said, Corey, do you know when she started praising the Wallers where she used to live so highly? The day she left them. As long as she was there, she had nothing but complaints. The Wallers couldn't compare with the Van Hooks where she'd been before. But at the Van Hooks, she'd actually been miserable. And she closed with this, happiness isn't something that depends on our surroundings, Corey. It's something we make inside ourselves. So much wisdom. And it leads me to ask, am I content with where God has me? Or am I always looking elsewhere? I'm always looking for another situation. Because I'm telling you, until you're content where God has you, you cannot be fully used the way He wants to use you where you're at. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Next, when their message was rejected, they were to practice discerning departure. Verse 11, if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you. I wouldn't be surprised when they heard him say this, their minds go right back to Nazareth. It happened to him. I guess we better prepare for it too. If they rejected Jesus, of course there's going to be times where, where they reject us. We need to come to the place where we expect that that's going to happen at times and prepare for it. And decide in advance, who's it going to be about at that moment? Because if my life is about me and being liked by people, I'm probably going to compromise or shut up or stop preaching the truth about Jesus. But if my life is about Him and His glory, and I realize that at the end of the day, they're not rejecting me first and foremost. They're rejecting Him. And that's what it really matters. Then I'm going to stay faithful. Right? If we realize that He went through it before we did and that He is with us, that's a great help as well. Matthew 10.24, He had told them, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Jesus, as they have called Him Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of His household? If they rejected Jesus, who are you and I to expect going through life without being rejected? We're following in His footsteps. When we get an eternal perspective that realizes it's about so much more than just me, that's where we start grabbing onto things that Jesus said about persecution and holding on to them. Matthew 5, 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. One more, Acts chapter 5. There's a crazy passage. You have to read it a few times to really take it in. Some of these same apostles have been arrested by the authorities. Acts 5.40 says, When they called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, listen to this, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor 
further me. What kind of love does one have for Jesus to rejoice that they were counted worthy to suffer in His name? Paul talked about Philippians 3, sharing his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Are you expecting rejection? I would. It's going to happen. Prepare for it and decide in advance whose glory you're going to live for at that moment. Yours or His. He also goes on to talk about this discerning departure. He says, these people that reject you, when you reject the message ultimately, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, not many of us do that unless we're afraid we're going to get in trouble with the, the missus or, or mom who will get the dust off our feet. But this practice of shaking dust off of feet as a statement, we don't do these days. But the Jews knew about it. There you go, yeah. Will's doing this. It's similar. When the Jews would travel outside of the promised land, as they came back in, before they stepped back in the promised land, they would shake the dust of those unclean Gentile lands off of their, their shoes before they stepped back into the promised land. So a Jew that saw the disciples doing that over their town would get the message loud and clear. They're saying, we're unclean. Which is true because they had rejected God's Messiah. And hopefully, it was not a final denunciation, but something to make some think, wow, wow, I need to repent. It was also a way of the disciples saying, we have done our part. We have brought you the message. We've done all that we can. Like the watchman in Ezekiel 33. You remember God told Ezekiel, if you warn the people, then the blood is not on your hands. But if you don't warn the people, then the blood is on your hands. As ambassadors of Jesus, we need to be faithful watchmen that, that are spreading the message of heaven and hell, salvation in Jesus Christ. If they reject it, He says, shake the dust off your feet. Move on. He talked elsewhere about not casting pearls before swine. We are not called upon to continue to ram the truth of the gospel into folks who reject it. We plant the seed, leave it with God, and move on to more open fields. Number one, because He's sovereign. It's only the Holy Spirit that can water that seed. Number two, we have a limited time here. We cannot keep in fields that are rejecting what we're sharing. We have to move on. So a couple of questions from this section. Am I being a faithful messenger and am I ready for rejection? That second one, let's admit none of us like that thought. But let's pray. God help us prepare for that moment. Here's the cool thing. In His power, they delivered. They, they preached His divine message. Verse 12, they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they performed deeds which confirmed it. Verse 13, they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. As we close, maybe you're thinking, that's great for the 12 apostles. I ain't one of them. What does this have to say to me? And you're right, we're not one of those. Paul said it plainly in 1 Corinthians 12, 29. 
Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Answer? No. So what do we share in common with those 12? Well, we too have derived authority from Jesus Himself as believers. Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. We have His Spirit within us. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Talk about communion with God. We have derived authority from Him. The Holy Spirit lives within us. We have community with people. It may not be two by two. It might, but we got a whole church to go on this adventure with. When we have that same commission to the world as we just read. As we close, I want to share something that excites me. I just started reading the book of Acts in my quiet time. Acts was written by Luke, who also wrote the Gospel of Luke, which he here refers to as his first book. He's Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He's writing to Theophilus, the man that he wrote the book to. He says, in the first book, in the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Focus on that word began. You think about the Gospel of Luke. It is a pretty comprehensive stretch of Jesus' ministry here, going all the way to His resurrection. And yet Luke has the audacity to, to call it all that Jesus began to do. Why? Because he was about to write the book of Acts showing that all, all that Jesus would continue to do throughout the book of Acts into today through His Spirit-empowered church. He's not done. The Gospels were what Jesus began to do. This church age is what He continues to do through you and I, His body here and now. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this passage. It's another one of those ones where I thank You for bracing us for reality. If we, if we expect to be accepted by everyone we share the Gospel with, we're ignoring the plain counsel of Scripture. Jesus, I thank You that You know what it's like to experience that and that You remain faithful all the way to the cross. It didn't end there. You, you rose again. You're seated next to your Father where you have all authority. And you invite us to go out and spread that message. Give us the strength by your Spirit to be faithful. Help us to remember it's not by our own might or by our own power, but by your Spirit. So as we connect to you, Jesus, the vine, as we follow in your footsteps, help us to remember it's a privilege to walk with you whether it brings blessing or persecution. For even in the persecution, there is eternal blessing. Strengthen us for the road ahead by Your Spirit. Lord, I pray for us as a church, even as we take up our offerings today, that they would be acts of surrendered worship and trust, gratitude to You, and that we'd use them for Your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.